The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We've got either an overrated or an underrated show up next, talking about the NL Central right after this. Or right after Well, I got us off to a appropriately spring training start there by failing to find the button that started the intro, but we're excited to bring you the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast today, brought to you by Fantrax, talking overrated and underrated players in the NL Central. This is Eric Holtzman here with Ryan Boyer, and Ryan, around this time of year, it feels like all the cool kids are revealing injuries that they didn't know about. So do you have anything to reveal to us? Any any calf strains? Any shoulder troubles? Um, I have... An impending uh, carpal tunnel syndrome, I'm sure, as as the the transactions and the news ramps up. That's uh, usually, given our our line of work, that's a that's a always a threat. Fair enough. We can expect you to see see you sidelined through the early part of April, or do you think you're going to make it for opening day? Day to day, I'll push I'll push through it. Fair there's enough. no there's no drug testing for for us, so we can I can take something and get back get back right True. right at it. Right, I think. I think steroids solve carpal tunnel. I think that's how that works. <laughs> I won't tell anybody. <laughs> we have a busy show today. We've got a decent amount of news, some signings, some injuries, as I talked about, some role confirmations. We also have, of course, the main topic in the second half of the show, are underrated and overrated players in the NL Central. But let's start with some news. Let's start with yesterday's biggest signing. Whit Merrifield, one year, $8 million going to the Phillies. Now, there were possible landing spots where Whit Merrifield would have played a lot more, right? He's sort of entered the stage of his career where he's probably either a starter on a bad team or a bench piece on a good team. So if you've drafted Whit Merrifield already, I'd imagine you wouldn't be very happy with this news, Ryan. Yeah, I was... I was kind of expecting him to sign with the White Sox, honestly. Um, mm. Speaking of big roles and bad teams, that, that just made a fit with his former, I guess, bench coach in Kansas City. He's now the manager of the White Sox. The, their uh, roster is deficient uh, pretty much everywhere, so they could use a guy like him. But going to the Phillies, um, seems like – yeah, it's, it seems like he picked – a winner ahead of his own playing time. Right. Um, 
a chance that he, I mean, if Johan Rojas just completely falls on his face, uh, if Brandon Marsh's recovery from knee surgery goes a little slower than expected. Um, I mean, Whit Merrifield, it feels like we had playing time concerns going into the last season for him as well, and he ended up playing quite a bit. I'd say it's probably more of a threat that he's not going to play much this year, but he always find, seemingly finds a way. So, I mean, if he falls too far, he could actually wind up being a value. That's true. This this could change his market significantly. I'm just looking. He reached 592 plate appearances last season, yeah. despite plenty of competition in Toronto. So that's true. I think if he ends up starting against the majority of righties in Philly, something probably will have gone wrong. I bet that yeah. the initial plan will be for him to be in the lineup against every lefty, whether that's giving Bryson Stott a rest at second base or maybe giving Brandon Marsh a rest in left field. But I think that against righties, they're going to want those two guys in there and they're going to want Johan Rojas in center. But, you know, the 10th man is often not a terrible investment in fantasy baseball because there's nine guys ahead of him who could get injured. And if you have true infield outfield, you know, capabilities like Merrifield does, there's more paths um, for playing time. But I guess this is still probably we're talking deep mixed leagues and NL only leagues at this point. Yeah, I think it's he's probably 15 plus mixed league target. Um, the multi-position eligibility, eligibility certainly helps. I mean, he's going to a decent hitter's park. Um, can squeeze vote very little power he has out of it. Uh, can still run a little bit, but yeah, overall, you have to say it definitely takes a hit to his fantasy outlook. Let's move to a player who I guess saw a boost to his fantasy outlook, though I'm still not sure if he has widespread appeal. Uh, that's John Schreiber, traded to the Royals in a deal for minor league pitcher David Sandlin. If he was traded anywhere else, I don't think we'd care. John Schreiber, hardly an elite reliever, but he's been a, a pretty good one for most of his fairly short major league career. And he's landed in Kansas City, where there's not a definite closer. Now, I don't know if we're yeah. favoring... Schreiber, there's other guys like Will Smith, James MacArthur, Nick Anderson in that mix. Uh, but does this move in the needle enough that you'd be willing to take a chance, say, very late in a deep league and see where things stand come opening day? Uh, maybe AL only, but I, I, that's probably the extent of it. I mean, Schreiber, is, he's been good the last few years, but he really had trouble with lefties last year. Um, I think they'll probably deploy him fairly carefully not that they have a ton of other options to turn to um but yeah i would i would put him probably third or fourth on that saves pecking order the royals could i mean that's a really bad division they could they've actually done some some things over the offseason they could have a decent enough record to garner some save chances but i, I would probably more ale only for me yeah, I think that's where I'm at, too. I think the main effect of this signing for me is that it makes Nick Anderson a slightly late, very deep save spec, which I've been uh, looking his way in some of the draft champions leagues. I think now there's even more competition there. Uh, let's move to some injury news. An interesting one. Shane Boz is fine, but he's not going to pitch for a while. Is That's basically the news here. He's 17 months out from Tommy John surgery which is the time at which guys usually are ready to pitch again. And it right. seems he would be, but the Rays are saying, well, you're not going to pitch all year. And so why do we want you to throw in April? Just wait a few months. It's a weird situation, but I kind of 
I kind of don't hate it from a real world perspective, even though it's too bad for any Shane Boz shares you might have. Yeah, I mean, he's his ADP in NFBC leagues has been pretty high, um, like based on I think a lot of people thought that he was going to be in the rotation opening day. I mean, if you would have asked me a month or two ago, I would have thought he probably was. It's still a very vague timetable. There was an article in um, I think the Tampa Bay Times kind of referred to later this summer is when we can expect him to join the rotation. I don't know what, what exactly that means. Right. In uh, most circumstances, late in the summer is like August 20th or something. Yeah, I mean, I it, just reading it, I thought, okay, we're, we're not going to see him until at least like July. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, what does – what constitutes summer and as it relates to baseball, maybe it's, that's a little earlier. I, I don't know. You can drive yourself crazy trying to figure out the, what they're exactly trying to trying to mean by that. But, you know, it, it's certainly, I'm with you. I like it. It makes some sense from a real life perspective. Um, it's a very conservative, I guess he already didn't have a ton of, uh, you know, workload, under his belt before that, in addition to missing obviously all of last season, but you know, not crazy about his redraft value now. I mean, I think we're going to see his ADP drop significantly, rightly so. Um, still really, really like him from a long-term perspective, from a dynasty league perspective, but um, kind of out right now in redraft. Uh, at least in shallower leagues, probably. Yeah, I think I'm right there too. And especially in leagues without any injured list spots, yeah. if we don't know when he's going to come back, it, it's really hard to stash him for some time this summer, which like you said, that could be yeah. June. It could be August. We don't really know. And hey, if even if you are in a league with an injured list spot, there's some chance he ends up just in the minors or with some other weird status that isn't the injured list. It seems like given the way things are going. So and he, could go, leagues, he could go four or five innings for a while when he does right. join the rotation. So we just, there's not a lot of uh, workload assurances there. Right. So still a good pitcher for 2025, but maybe mm-hmm. not for this year. Uh, more injury news. Josh Young shut down for a few weeks with a calf strain. Uh, he's had more than his fair share of injuries previously in his career. Uh, so this is just another another hint that he might be injury prone, although this is a different type of injury than his previous ones. We may still have time for him to be ready by opening day, but you have to move him down at least a little bit, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I actually kind of bummed me out, but I, mean, I'm, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but I was already kind of out on Josh Young, and now I feel like his more people are going to be out on him yeah. <laughs> just because he's – a question mark for opening day now, but yeah, I mean, two to three weeks and then reevaluated they're saying. So that's a pretty tight window to be ready for opening day, I guess. I mean, Ezekiel Duran already might have to cover for Corey Seager. That left side of the infield could be banged up on opening day. Um, so, you know, we're, we're hearing about, Justin Foscue playing more at first base, but he could get some reps at, at third as well. Um, but yeah, as far as Josh Young goes, I, like I mentioned, I'm kind of out on him where his ADP was to begin with. And now 
probably going to drop a little bit. So maybe it's a little more enticing. Yeah, because every year we see one or two players who has this kind of storyline at this time of the year. And then guess what? They end up either being fine by opening day or spending the absolute minimum on the injured list and then looking entirely uninjured from April 8th on. So certainly it could happen if he pulls a good deal. Although right now, the main thing to watch might be, does this open the path more for Wyatt Langford? I mean, we've got two injuries in the Texas infield. Langford is, of course, an outfielder, but decent chance that his at-bats come at DH this year. So every injury Texas suffers this spring makes a Wyatt Langford pick, I think, all that much more appealing. Yeah, I, I saw um, Kennedy Landry, I believe, from MLB.com, the Rangers beat writer, when she did her roster projections. I think she had Foscue at the favorite at DH and brought Wyatt Langford right behind him. But if Foscue is needed more in the infield, opens things up more for Wyatt Langford. Obviously, the the draft pick incentive, you know, teams have more of a reason to carry those top prospects on their opening day roster. Um, he's just absolutely loaded with tools. And, you know, if, if that clears another path to playing time for him, then that's not a bad thing. Something to watch there. Certainly we'll probably hear from the Rangers as spring carries on what their plans are there. We also have some role confirmation. We can call it that. We've got a few different situations here we can group together, starting with Jaron Duran. Going to be leading off for the Red Sox, it looks like. He was their second most common leadoff man last year. He led off 35 times. So the most common was Alex Verdugo, who is not there anymore. Uh, did you have interest in Duran already? Does this move the needle even more? Doesn't really move the needle for maybe a little bit. I mean, I, I kind of thought he was probably going to lead off already against righties. That's fair. Um, and Cora seemed to, think, seemed to say that Based on matchups, he could, you know, hit towards the bottom of the order against certain lefties, but some of their lefties he could bat lead off. Uh, he was actually, I think his OPS was actually maybe a little better against lefties last year, if I'm remembering correctly, but a um, little injury prone, you know. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they wind up doing in, in center field there. You know, we see Rafaela, it's, it Based on Cora's comments, it seems to me like he wants Rafaela to win that center field job, and he can put you know, slide Jaron Duran over to right field. Um, so I'm, that, that's gonna, definitely going to be something we're tracking that could could have big fantasy implications. Um, where are you at on on Duran? Does it does it change your outlook of him? Yeah, I was just quickly checking his splits. He was better against righties last year, but he had a 749 OPS against lefties, so it okay. wouldn't be a surprise to see him in there. I think Duran's pretty interesting, but if the price rises too high after this news, he really doesn't hit the ball that hard. Well, he doesn't have a high barrel rate. He actually had a fine hard hit rate last year, but a barrel rate just around 5%, and both his strikeout and walk rates were worse than league average. So you really need that playing time and you need him to run a lot. And I think I think those could happen. But if his quality of contact and his frequency of contact aren't about to get better, uh, he did outperform his expected batting average by about 30 points last year. So I think there's a chance that his numbers are coming down a decent amount. But this kind of news, if he's locked in as the leadoff man for a pretty good lineup in a hitter's park, that, that offsets that, I think, a fair amount. More... 
unless you have one more point on Jared Durant. I, I was just going to add uh, something. I mean, he's he's coming back from toe surgery as well, so that's something to keep in mind as far as maybe not running quite as much, at least early on in the season. True. Seems like he's going to be fine for opening day, but just something to, to keep in mind. Certainly got to watch that. I would imagine if he is installed as the everyday leadoff man, it's because he's feeling fine, but we will keep an eye on that as yep. the spring progresses. Uh, more role confirmation, role changes in this case. Xander Bogarts. He is now a second baseman. I think this was something that people saw coming. Seemed like defense wasn't his strength, and it was maybe a little bit weird to see him sign such a long deal, given that he wasn't going to be a shortstop for very long. And it turns out he really wasn't going to be a shortstop for very long because he's already moving to second. Uh, Hassan Kim has the better glove and is staying at short. And I guess the main fantasy implications of this are Bogarts is going to pick up second base eligibility, you know, week two, probably, depending on your settings. Uh, do you care a lot about having both second and short from your middle infield guy? If you can get that on your first middle infielder you draft, do you consider that a big boost? It's nice to have. I, mean, I liked Bogarts at his price already. Um, I feel like he was he was banged up a lot of last year and still wound up producing pretty decent numbers. Um, it is a little odd to see him shifting over to second base this early on in that huge contract. But it sounds like they had discussions when he signed that deal that this was probably going to come at some point. I think it's earlier than probably he was expecting. But I also wonder, I mean, are they going to extend Hassan Kim now? Were they going to – would they make this move with Kim being an impending free agent if they – Thought they were going to have to shift Bogarts back to shortstop next year. I, I don't know. It it seems like maybe they want to extend Kim and not wind up trading him, which he, he's been in plenty of trade rumors. Um, yeah, getting back to getting back to Bogarts, it, it's nice to have that that dual eligibility certainly. Um, but again, I, I was kind of already already in on him, so that's just kind of a, a cherry on top. Yeah, we've got a quick point on that in the chat. Jackson Merrill, ETA. Jackson Merrill, of course, the shortstop prospect for the Padres. Maybe that is the long-term plan. Uh, we have an ETA on him of 2024. I don't think it's going to be the start of 2024, but that is a good point that that could also be the long-term plan. Maybe they don't. going to be playing a lot of outfield this spring, Jackson Merrill. True. So then we may actually see him even sooner and not at shortstop. Um, one more role change or role confirmation to touch on here. Another shortstop related one. Geraldo Perdomo has already been named the starting shortstop in Arizona, which means Jordan Lawler is not the starting shortstop, which means probably he's heading to the minors to start the year. Uh, that means that any flyer on Jordan Lawler is a lot tougher to take. Does it increase Geraldo Perdomo's fantasy appeal to the point that we should care in anything but pretty deep leagues. I mean, this is a guy with a job who was not bad last year, but he really is not having a whole lot of appeal this season. I don't think it changes much. It doesn't, the news wasn't really that surprising. I don't think, um, I mean, maybe the, just the fact that they came out this early in spring and, and talked about it is gives him a little bit of a, of a leash there. Um, he's got great, Pernoma has got great plate discipline. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't hit the ball hard at all. The, the bat of ball data is just awful. 
going to be in a decent lineup, but he's probably going to hit at or towards the bottom of the order. I, I think he's still uh, deep league material only. Yeah, I think his profile reminds me in a lot of ways of J.P. Crawford, who if yeah. you're in a deep league and you just wanted a guy who was going to be a shortstop in the lineup all the time, that was J.P. Crawford, still is. Uh, he's not going to really get you much pop and not as many steals as you want for a guy without power, but he had the everyday job. I guess with Perdomo, though, we still have Lawler lurking, so maybe that doesn't work quite as well. Um, is Lawler interesting to you as a stash? Do you think his numbers are going to pop enough once he eventually arrives? Because I think that's probably the main consideration for me with stashes. I guess if you want to take this in a different direction, say you'd stash him anyway. Uh, but for me, if I'm going to know that I'm not having a player for a month or two, I better be very excited about his numbers when they eventually show up. Is, is that Lawler for you? I, I think it kind of depends on the league format. Like if, it, if you're just – if you have a pretty standard bench, I don't know that he's going to be up soon enough to make him worthy of a worthy of a roster spot. Um, if you have like a minor league section of your roster, like Fantrax has, and that's a good spot to use him. Obviously, um, right. he, could, he could probably use some seasoning anyway. Um, I don't know if he's quite ready yet. It seemed seemed a little rushed last year when they brought him up. Um, so I, you know, I think he's still more of a, of a dynasty league, uh, outlook for me. Yeah, I think that sounds right. And speaking of fan tracks, this is a good time to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by fan tracks. Fan tracks is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper redraft and best ball leagues coming from another service. Fan tracks makes it easy. Fan tracks can import any of your current leagues and customize if needed. Fantrax offers the most in-depth player pool in the industry, including minor league players. Do you need a customizable commissioner service for your fantasy league? Fantrax offers more customization than any other platform. Waivers, categories, scoring system, schedule. Fantrax offers custom solutions for all that and more. And it's all free. Sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X dot com slash Rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. We are also brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. We thank them for their support and exchange. Here are their ads. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. After that very short break, if you're catching us live or a slightly longer break, if you are not, we are moving on to the main topic of today's show, and that is overrated and underrated National League Central Edition, which is a division that you have some particularly strong opinions on. Is that right, Ryan? I am a Cardinals fan. Um, as you can see Ozzy in the in the background there and Bob Gibson over my you know, my shoulder here. Um, Those guys are pretty good. Yeah, they are. Uh, Could have used them last year, um, but yeah, coming off a coming off a rough year, my my Redbirds. I'm not super optimistic about 2024 either, but that's why they play the games, as they say. Yeah. Well, you did manage to be optimistic about a couple of them, although we're going to go in alphabetical order to keep things fair, not prioritize your Cardinals. Let's start with the Brewers. I guess we're going alphabetically by nickname. Uh, Who is your most underrated Brewer this season, Ryan? I have Sal Freelich, um, who, by the way, was also in the news again today. Apparently, he's going to pick up an infielder's glove this spring um in, in playing a little development. a little a little second base a little a little uh third base um learning the ropes from Dustin Pedroia they say so hey if you can pick up that extra eligibility they do have a gaping open at gaping hole at uh at third base so who, who knows I don't know if it's more of an emergency situation when he's going to be used there but get those 10 games and the added eligibility would be nice. Um, yeah, the numbers from Freelick last year overall, not great, but heading into September had a 769 OPS, all three of his home runs, six of his seven stolen bases. So maybe he just wore down a little bit. Numbers in the minors also weren't great last year, but he had thumb surgery. So I'm kind of writing that off. You look back to just 2022, he hit 331, 403, 480 with 11 home runs and 24 stolen bases. Mostly hit cleanup for the Brewers last season. Um, Don't know if he's necessarily going to do that again. They did sign Reese Hoskins, but probably not going to drop any lower than like fifth or so, I wouldn't think, against righties. It's not not a perfect profile. His uh, batted ball data is bad um he did not hit lefties last year um but i think 
pretty well-rounded fantasy option still. I think being at American Family Field, I believe they're calling it now, could squeeze a little more power out of him. Got a good sprint speed. I think he's going to steal bases. NFBC ADP at last check is at 293. Um, you know, that's at your stage of the draft, actually after your stage of the draft where outfield really thins out. Um, I think at that point he offers some upside. So I like I like the price on Sal Freelick. Yeah, not exactly a prototypical cleanup man. Uh, his no. hard hit rate was under a quarter. And nearly everybody's about 40% or at least in the high 30s. He has about the weakest contact you can get while still playing regularly, but he also makes a ton of contact. Uh, 16.5% strikeout rate as a rookie, and he was under 10% at his last couple of minor league stops. And I think that's why the, him picking up the infielder's glove is so exciting, because this is this is an archetypal utility player's bat, I think. I think yeah. if Freelick proves that he can play anywhere on the field, and keeps hitting like this, where he hits the ball often, just not very hard. I think he could have a long career. And I think with uh, Jackson Churio joining that lineup, I think it makes sense that they will need Sal Freelick to pick up that glove and show that he can do something there if he's going to play regularly. And if he does, I think it's a not a well-rounded player, but a perfectly useful one. Speaking of Jackson Churio, I want to jump in here and... We're going to jump from your underrated to my overrated because guess what? It's Jackson Churio. And I, li I like Jackson Churio. I think he's going to be a very good player. But I recently wrote up an article uh, taking a look at the three very exciting rookies who everybody's watching this spring. It's Jackson Churio, Wyatt Langford in Texas, and Jackson Holiday in Baltimore. And I discovered an interesting thing while doing the research for this article. In November, in October drafts, Churio was the player that NFBC drafters liked the least of these three. And that means that when their playing time outlook was equal, he was the least appealing of these uber-talented rookies. But then he signed his pre-debut extension in November, and suddenly he's going at the top of the group. But I think it's pretty reasonably likely that the other two could make the opening day roster as well. And if they do, they're going to jump well ahead of Churio. So I think if you want to take a chance on a rookie, if you're someone who says, I really like that upside in my drafts, I know what I'm getting into, it might not work. But hey, if it works, it's working out really well. I think I just wouldn't look his way. I think Jackson Holiday and Wyatt Langford have less appealing playing time right now, but not significantly less. And I think they will be more interesting if they do have that job. So it's more of a strategic reason where I think you just don't need Jackson Jurio. Are you buying that? Yeah. I mean, I, I understand the, why the ADP jumped up. Uh, once you get that, not assurance that he's going to be on the opening day roster, but probably going to be on the opening day roster. Um, he's, I don't know who's the who's the most polished out of those three. I, I don't know. It's always tricky with with rookies to to know when they're going to be ready to to make to be impact fantasy options. I I think Wyatt Langford probably has the most. I was going to say has the most upside, but gosh, Churio's upside is pretty enormous as well. Um, I think Jackson yeah, Holiday. Yeah, this has nothing to do with Churio's upside, right? Like that. That right. I could be wrong here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's a tough one. Um, where do you come down out of those three? That, who you would like to roster? 
it's probably right now Holiday just because he's going 40 or 50 picks later. Yeah. But I think it would be Langford second. He's going about a round after Churio. And I think he is, again, maybe only 10% less likely to break camp. Maybe a little bit more than that. But he's he's pretty likely to show up pretty early. And his bat is more ready. I think that's the other reason with Churio. If there's a prospect who comes up super early and isn't ready this year, but is completely fine long term, like we're not going to ding them too much and still like them five, 10 years from now. I think that's Jackson Churio. The guy's just so young. Uh, he yeah. won't even turn 20 until March 11th. So if Jackson Churio comes up on opening day, I mean, if he has a, let's say a Jordan Walker type season, but maybe even a little bit worse where he comes up and it's, it's just not really clicking for him yet. It's not at all hard to envision him going down, maybe figuring it out, showing up late in the year, or even just showing up next year and having exactly the career we all expected. But the guy is just, so young. Yeah, and the Brewers have outfield options too. I mean, even if Sal Freelich winds up spending a decent amount of time on the infield, they they're not they're not lacking outfield options. Um, you know, Christian Yelich is probably going to be in the DH spot a lot, but um, he can still attempt to play the outfield somewhat as well. So. Brewers are not lacking options. You, you know, I think Trio is going to definitely make that opening day roster, but they could. You know, Jordan Walker was sent down. When was that? May. Um, wound, right. up, wound, up, wound up coming back, but could use a little reset in the minors at, at some point if he isn't, doesn't prove to be quite ready yet. Um, moving into our overrated, I'm going to go with William Contreras, and, and this is more – it's it's less to do that with William Contreras that I don't like William Contreras. It's just more that the cost and the catcher is so deep, surprisingly so. I mean, so many years we were just, especially in two catcher leagues, like I can't believe this guy is on my fantasy roster, but it's surprisingly deep. Um, yeah, Contreras, I, I do think there's the potential for a little bit of regression as well. So that's a ton of balls on the ground. So I, I don't think – even though the batted ball data is good, we can necessarily count on the home runs jumping up. And getting back to those DH at bats, is he going to get as many at bats at DH this year? I mean, we it seems like there might have might be a little snag in the Gary Sanchez situation. He is not reported to camp yet, um, but if he does wind up officially signing that deal, he's probably going to play a lot in the DH spot. That would cut back on Contreras's at bats a little bit, but it's mostly just about the ADP. I mean, he's at seventy-seven and NFBC leagues, and you can I can get catchers that I like at pick two hundred or even a little later. Um, no, they're not going to have the upside of William Contreras, but I I just see the other players that he's being drafted around, and I just don't find myself going in that direction. Yeah, I think I'm with you, although I do have to note that the auction calculators, the projections, really like William Contreras. On ATC, he's the top catcher, which surprised me, but I, I have to note it and pay attention, even though initially I was pretty low on Contreras. Some of it, I think, will have to do with that playing time, right? I think exactly yeah. what you mentioned. If Gary Sanchez does wind up there, I mean, Gary Sanchez could play himself off the roster by the end of May, of course, but if... He has the season they're hoping. I don't think Contreras is necessarily getting to, what was it, 611 plate appearances 
uh, if yeah. he does get there again, then then maybe he's not overrated at all. But there is, it's a lot easier to see him getting less than that than getting more. Uh, the final brewer to talk about, we skipped over my underrated brewer. So I'm going to talk about Willie Adamas. Uh, he is going in February drafts outside the top 180. It's about 60, 65 picks uh, after where I have him in my rankings. Now, Adamas has had a four-year drop in his WRC+, plus, which slipped all the way down to 94 last year. But most of his underlying skills seemed fine. He actually had his career best marks in both strikeout rate and barrel and walk rate, sorry. And his barrel rate was over 12%. I mean, if you just look at those skills, he seems totally fine to me. He was always a player who had his flaws, particularly in that slightly too high strikeout rate. But again, that's trending down. The guy is still just 28 years old. I think he's getting dinged too much for some bad surface numbers last year. Yeah, that's all fair. Um, also, could we add a little uh, walkier juice to his to his resume? Yeah. I don't know. Um, and also, maybe could he get traded? We've seen the Dodgers connected to him. Um, I mean, not necessarily a better situation that he would wind up on if he is traded. I mean, he's in a on a decent team and in a good hitter's park, but. Gosh, put him in that Dodgers lineup. That would be awfully yeah. nice. But yeah, not a perfect player, Willie Adamas. But you know, given where he's going in drafts, I I like that call as being being underrated. Um, move on to the Cardinals here. Yeah, do you want to wax poetic about the Cardinals for an hour or two, or do you want to one or two players? <laughs> how about how about a few minutes instead? I don't know if they're worthy no, of that good. of that length of time. Um, my underrated. Going with Brendan Donovan, um, guy is just built to hit for for average, excellent contact rate, expected batting average in the 91st percentile last year. Also upped his fly ball rate and pull rate last year, and wound up hitting 11 home runs in in 95 games before he had that elbow surgery. Dual eligible, and probably going to pick up additional eligibility as well. They, they're going to bounce him around to different positions. He might not have a set starting spot, but he's going to play, I think, every day. I am a little concerned about the lineup spot. I think it's worth tracking how they roll out their lineups this spring. I mean, I think Lars Newtbar is probably going to hit leadoff against righties, and if that happens, I, I don't know that they're going to want – lefty lefty at the top of the lineup so that could potentially mean donovan's hitting like sixth or seventh which that's a big difference than first i also think he's a candidate to hit first and days he's in the lineup so that's that could swing his value a decent amount um but ultimately i think he probably will hit lead off a, a good amount even if he's not there on opening day nfbc adp right now at 288 i just think that you know Given the increase in fly ball rate last year, he could he's not going to be a big home run hitter, but I think between 15 to 20 home runs and chipping in a handful of steals, good batting average, good on base skills, multi-position eligibility, I think he's just a super, super handy guy to have on your fantasy roster. 
Yeah, I like the Donovan call a lot. I was interested in him heading into last year, uh, mostly based on his really good plate skills, although he had just five homers and two steals as a rookie. So there was really some risk that this was just not going to be a guy who does nearly enough for fantasy purposes. But like you mentioned, starting to show a little bit more power. And if he can have that contact with a shot at 15 homers, maybe even 20 if things really go well, but the 12 to 15 as a reasonable projection in an everyday role, suddenly he's a lot more exciting. Uh, my underrated Cardinal is also a second baseman, Nolan Gorman. I just can't get enough of young players with huge power. And yes, his huge power comes with big strikeout problems, but he's already shown us that it works. I mean, it worked last year with him striking out more than 30% of the time. This is modern baseball. You can do that if you have one of the best barrel rates around, and he does, 16.5% last year. He had 27 homers in 464 trips to the plate. And the guy's just 24, too. So if this is the year where suddenly that strikeout rate goes from the low 30s to the high 20s, there's breakout potential. Also, if he somehow figures out how to hit against lefties. Now, that does, I guess, probably limit his ceiling, though. And you might be more plugged in on this than me as a Cardinals fan. Do you think there's any hope that Nolan Gorman spends most of the year as a true everyday player? Or is he platoon only? So last year, they it seemed like they they talked about giving him more shots against lefties more than they actually gave him more shots against lefties. Um, he actually did a decent amount. He actually did hit pretty well against lefties last year. Uh, I mean, he's in that strikeout rate for a while was improved. The uh, – the out-of-zone swing rate was improved for a while. That eventually regressed, kind of fell back onto his old habits, I guess. I know he really worked on catching up to the high fastball. That, that was a problem area for him, but he did better with that last year. I, you know, as you mentioned, it's always good to invest in a guy that young that has that good of legitimate raw power. Um, he's not going to hit for a great – average he's not going to steal bases but if he gets 600 plate appearances i mean i think you can lock in 30 plus home runs for sure and at 40 if he got 600 plate appearances yeah and i mean if he's probably going to hit third fourth maybe in that lineup um so that's a that's a definitely a good spot to be in i like the gorman call Another guy that's going to hit in the middle of that lineup who I'm not as keen on at their current uh, asking price, Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, can we stave off father time again? Um, it looked like he might be trending in the wrong direction, and then he went out and won an MVP in 2022. So could he do it again at age 36? I think that's a pretty big ask. He... His production against fastballs last year was way down. I mean, I think that can be a sign that you're aging and just can't catch up to the fastball anymore, and that that's something that can cause a precipitous drop. I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a precipitous drop for Goldschmidt, but the numbers could trend could trend in a in a negative direction again. And kind of an anecdotal thing, the Cardinals earlier in the offseason, it seemed like basically a foregone conclusion that they were going to sign him to an extension, just kind of tack on another year to her, to his deal, let him retire as a Cardinal. Now they're hitting the brakes on that. I don't, maybe it's nothing, but 
the fact that they're not super anxious to do that anymore kind of gives me a little bit of pause. I mean, maybe they're worried that he's also training in the wrong direction. Um, is he ultimately traded at the deadline if they're not in it? But it, it really comes down to ADP, which is at 77 for Goldschmidt. First base is pretty deep. Um, I mean, I can get Vinny Pasquantino at around pick 120 or so. I, I would much rather go that route than than Paul Goldschmidt that early. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with that one. He's just in a tough spot of his career where he is still performing. But, you know, like you said, he's he's getting up there. He's, this is age 36 season. And if you're a drafter who wants to be out a year early rather than a year late, I think you got to be out on Goldschmidt, especially given that you're investing one of your first two picks on him. I think the a Goldschmidt equivalent who goes 50 picks later and is 50 picks worse stays interesting, I think, in his age 36 season because you're just not going to miss as much if it goes wrong. Uh, I'm going to go, though, with a much younger Cardinal for my overrated Cardinal, and that is Jordan Walker. And I'd be curious for your thoughts on this because I think his ADP is sitting around uh, 111 in February drafts. I think where he's going, you basically need it to work. I think he has every chance of living up to this ADP, but he's so young and unproven that is nowhere near a guarantee. We saw last year how things were somewhat rocky with him. If you stripped away the context of who Jordan Walker was, this very exciting, very young prospect, and you look at his season-end numbers, they're very ordinary. Uh, league yeah. average strikeout rate and walk rate, 7.5% barrel rate. Uh, if you prorate his stats per 600 plate appearances, he finished with 21 homers and 9 steals. Nothing wrong with any of that, but this was a guy who was fine. Nothing more than fine. And again, Huge prospect who was fine as a rookie. I get why people are very interested. But where you're drafting him, you need him to take that step forward. You need to be quite confident that that's the direction things are going. And I guess maybe I'm not confident that he's going to take that whole step yet this year. Uh, what do you think of Walker at his draft price? Yeah, I'm actually with you that the ADP is a little, a little high. Um, there is an element of kind of FOMO with 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 Jordan Walker you don't want to be the watching someone else reap the benefits of a, of a top prospect breaking out and he certainly could uh, he's got to fix that ground ball rate and he started to do that a little bit um, hits the ball pretty hard but he hits it in the ground a ton I mean, his production was better after he spent a little time in the minors and then came back up to the Cardinals um He's a huge dude, but is an underrated athlete. I, he could steal a decent number of bases, and obviously the raw power is, is massive. Um, I saw a video that, is, is as you know, Eric, uh, this is the time of the season when we see grainy uh, spring training photos and videos on, on our Twitter feeds. Best time um, of year. <laughs> but I saw the split screen of, of Walker from uh, – from last year and from this year. And he's, he's changed the placement of his hands a little bit. looks like he's trying to get a little quicker to the ball. Um, maybe that'll help with the lofting the ball as well. Remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, I think at that draft cost in a redraft league, I'm probably going to go in another direction. Um, Let, let's uh, move from 
the Cardinals to your other favorite team, the Cubs. I, th- I think that's I think that's what you told me before the show. <laughs> uh, you got any particularly underrated Cubs you want to touch on? I think Shota Imanaga might be underrated um, from a stuff perspective. Um, stuff plus the WBC. He had the best of anyone in that yeah. that tournament last year. I mean, and that's uh, Yamamoto pitched. Uh, Roki Sasaki pitched, uh, Shohei Otani pitched, uh, Sandy Alcantara pitched, and I mean, I got had the best stuff plus numbers out of all those guys. I think that's pretty telling. Um, you look at the numbers in 2023 in Japan, 29.5% strikeout rate, just a 3.8% walk rate. And we've seen that pitchers coming over from Japan, I mean, you never know for sure what's going to happen, but they tend to make a decent amount of contact over there. They're hitters. So their strikeout rates can actually jump up when they come to the States. Um, I think he could be a, a, a pretty good swing and miss guy. He's going to have an elite defense behind him that, which could potentially become even more elite if they sign maybe Matt Chapman. Um, so it's, you know, NFBC, DP, NFBC ADP, currently sitting at 223. I mean, that's a very digestible price, I think, for a guy who I think has a good amount of upside. We don't know how the transition's going to go, but, you know, he's got to change his his routine and the ball's a little different. Maybe his less rest than what he's used to in Japan, but I, I think the stuff is definitely going to going to play. Yeah, the only thing that worries me with Imanaga is that the Japanese pitchers who have had success in MLB, their home run rates over in Japan, they were giving up like 0.2, 0.3 homers per nine mm-hmm. innings. Imanaga is right around one, and there is less yeah. power generally in Japan. There are more hitters who aren't really even trying to hit homers. They're just settling for singles. Uh, so home run rates always jump when they come over here. Uh, you're talking about how strikeout rates do too. And I'm just a little bit worried that his just looks very different from every other successful Japanese starter. Now, of course, with his stuff being so good and his control looks good, too, uh, you put him with a staff, uh, you know, a coaching staff that has some ideas for what they want to do with him. I think there's every chance it ends up working out just fine. But I think that that does give me a little bit of worry. But the draft price is not that bad. So I think you can still draft him with that worry. So I, I think I'm still with you on that one. My underrated Cub. I'm going to go with the same guy that I've been going with for over a year now. That's Christopher Morrell. Now, last spring, he ended up not making the team, but then ended up still living up to his draft price anyway because he showed that much power. Uh, This is similar to my Nolan Gorman pick where he strikes out too much, but he has so much power that I don't care. And he proves that it works. A 15.5% barrel rate for Morrell with a 50% hard hit rate. Uh, If he played a full season, his numbers translate to... 36 homers and eight steals. Um, he could even steal a little bit more because he had 10 steals in just over 400 plate appearances as a rookie. I don't know exactly where he's going to play. It sounds like he's maybe going to play third unless the team brings in a Matt Chapman. But even if he doesn't have a dedicated position, if he's playing four or five times a week at two or three different spots, I don't think you're going to be able to keep his bat out of the lineup. I mean, we saw what he did when he got hot at times last year. It just seemed like he was homering every other trip to the plate. So are you are you taking a chance on Christopher Morrell, despite the whiffs, despite the depth chart? 
Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's totally makes sense. The news that broke earlier today about them wanting him to focus on third base this spring, I, it never really made sense why he wasn't already, that wasn't already the plan. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, were the Cubs really going to roll out Nick Madrigal and Patrick Wisdom at, at third base when Morel, I totally get that his defense is not good at basically anywhere he plays. But as you mentioned, the bat plays. And also, Danzy Swanson is also on the left side of the infield. He can cover up some of the issues that Morel has defensively. Um, so I think at his draft cost, I'm, I'm totally there with Morel. Maybe he's not a guy you want to target in the head-to-head leagues where a little more consistency is is nice to have, but I do think the numbers are going to be pretty good in the end. That's I'm cheating. A good point. Yeah, I'm cheating a little bit with my uh, with my overrated picks. Yeah, you are. I wondered if you had yeah. some uh, advanced knowledge here because I don't think you put down a cub for your most overrated cub. Yeah, I put down a free agent by by the name of Cody Bellinger. Um, to say that he has an inconsistent track record, I, I I think is an understatement. I mean, he's either been basically MVP level or legitimately one of the worst hitters in baseball. That's worrisome. And in addition to, you know, the inconsistent track record, as good as his numbers, surface level numbers were last year, batted ball data really was not good. Hard hit rate in the 10th percentile. He had the fifth highest gap between his expected WOBA and actual WOBA out of anyone last year. And as mentioned, we don't know where he's going to sign yet. Um, You know, going back to the Cubs has been a popular suggestion and that would be fine for his fantasy prospects uh we've also seen the giants connected maybe that's less of a possibility now that they sign jorge soler um the mariners have been loosely connected that would not be a great landing spot just some uncertainty there um but it's more the cost nfbc adp 55 with bellinger i just there's too much uncertainty there I mean, he did make legitimate impressive improvements with his strikeout rate um he went from like 27 percent down to 15 percent, something like that um is that legitimate uh can that carry over into 2024 I, there's just too many questions for that at that draft cost for me Yep, I'm with you, although I should note that I also recently drafted him. But Bellinger is, given his status, given the fact that he's a free agent, given the fact that, like you said, incredibly inconsistent, there's going to be people, there's going to be draft rooms where everyone hates him even more than you. So even, uh, I would imagine, there's probably a price at which you would still take him. At least that was the case with me. Um, Very much agree that he is not anything close to a sure thing, and you have to get him a little bit too early. Another guy who I don't think is as close to a sure thing as the market seems to is my overrated Cub. That's Edbert Alzali. I really like him as a pitcher. I really thought that he was going to take over as the Cubs closer at some point last year because he was the best reliever on that team. And that is what happened. Problem is he's being drafted sort of at the back of the definite closers. Uh, He's going much closer to guys like Kenley Jansen, you know, guys who we are very sure are closing but are a little bit shaky. I think Alzelay may be more talented than those guys, but his team just brought in Craig Council, 
who I guess he did use Josh Hader as a closer and Devin Williams, but that's because he had some truly elite guys who it was maybe hard not to. Craig Council, his reputation is as such, you know, a progressive modern manager who puts his guys in the best positions to succeed and who really is up on all these new ideas. It wouldn't surprise me in any way if they just don't bother naming a closer there. And if that's the case, I don't see how you can draft Alzelay with the rest of the closers. I think he should be drafted as one of the better maybe closers. And that's just not what the market has right now. Would that be how you're reading the uh, bullpen in Chicago? Or do you think he's the guy? That is how I would read it. Um, also, his injury history is pretty scary. I mean, he's had arm issues, including last season. Um, I mean, where they're being drafted, I would much rather have Hector Neris at his at his cost. Um, I don't know exactly what Council's going to do. I mean, if you ask me to pick a closer who is going to be on opening day, I, I would probably pick Alzali, but I'm with you that he's just going way too early given the uncertainty and the potential injury concerns. Um, All right. Should we uh, move on to the Pirates then? Yeah, let's do some pirates here. here. We've got two more teams to get through. So how about you tell me the most underrated Pittsburgh pirate in fantasy drafts? All right, we'll do a little little rapid fire here with the last couple teams. Uh, Leover Peguero, um, seven home runs, six steals in 59 games with the Pirates last year. Between the majors and minors, he had a 2020 season, 20 home runs, 27 stolen bases. Strikeouts were... Definitely an issue for him with the Pirates. It was up over 30% his strikeout rate, but he didn't, it wasn't really that much of a concern in the minors. It was right at 21%. So I don't think that's necessarily going to be a, a worrisome thing for him. 95th percentile in sprint speed. I think he's going to steal some bases. Looks like he's the favorite to start at second base. Already dual eligible. And the draft cost is. He's not being drafted, basically. Five thirty-three, five hundred. Yep. Right. Five thirty-three in an FBC. I mean, he's. You know, I'm not expecting a 2020 season like he put together between the majors and minors, but I, I don't think. I mean, 15 home runs and 25 steals. I don't think would be a huge ask from him. Um, and given that cost, that's a huge return on your investment and there might be a tick more upside as well. Yeah, that's a good shout. And I think that's easily the uh, cheapest player in drafts that we'll be mentioning today. So Leover Paguero, an interesting deep sleeper, uh, my underrated pirate. I'm filling a theme here. A lot of guys who strike out way too much and hit the ball really hard. And that's Jack Swinsky. Uh, he also struck out over 30% of the time, had a barrel rate over 15%, just shy of 16 in his case. That's big enough power that it works. I think that's what we're seeing with all these guys. We saw it work last year. It's going to come with a low batting average in Jack Swinski's case. The park doesn't help him, and he's got serious issues against lefties. Uh, but 26 homers, 13 steals last year. This works in fantasy, even with a low batting average, as long as you've mixed in some higher batting average guys. I think Swinski reminds me a lot of James Outman, who also has power, too many strikeouts, and issues against lefties. Uh, Outman's going around pick 190 in February drafts. Sawinski's pick 236. So I think you can get a good discount on a similar player who is flawed, but it works. I think we, I think this profile works. That's modern baseball. 
I'm with you. I mean, that's getting him as your fourth or fifth outfielder. I, th- I think at that at that stage of the draft is a is a good get. Um, so my overrated pirate not getting then, yeah. <laughs> uh, my overrated pirate. I'm gonna go with Mitch Keller. Um, five five nine ERA, one four four WHIP after the All Star break. Finished the year with a four two one ERA, and that was right in line with his X ERA of four one eight. You know, StatCast has him throwing six different pitches, but the three pitches that he throws the most are all hard. Um, I don't know if he has a, necessarily a breaking ball that he trusts. Um, that's an issue, especially against lefties. Uh, is he going to have something to solve left-handed batters? You know, the Pirates were a little bit better last year, but – didn't do a ton of the offseason. I'm not sure how good they're going to be. The team context, not great. Um, you know, Mitch Keller struck out 200 batters last year. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if he did it again. Um, but I would expect more inconsistency. And, you know, it. the draft cost of 169 and FBC is just uh, some other guys going around him. I would much rather roster than him. Yeah, I definitely remain intrigued by Keller, but his ERA really took a dip in the second half last year. 331 in the first half, 559 after the break, and the underlying numbers took a dip as well. That was not all luck. So I think if he maintained that first half performance, he'd be a bargain where where he's going. But I think I'm with you. He's a little bit too pricey given the way those numbers dipped. Uh, The pirate who's too pricey for me is O'Neill Cruz. Uh, Incredibly exciting player, and I totally get anybody who wants to take a chance on him He's going around pick 73 in February drafts. That's really pricey for a guy with his level of risk. That's a fifth round pick in 15 team leagues. And not only is Cruz coming off of major ankle surgery, the surgery also robbed him of a year to prove himself. And he was a guy who needed to prove himself. He's so talented, but even bigger strikeout problems than all these guys. Maybe it's a little bit silly for me to put him on there, given that in a way he fits the same mold of he strikes out too much, but he hits the ball really hard. Thing is, he's a top 75 pick. These other guys are you can get, you know, in the round pick 200. I think there's certainly a path to Cruz outperforming his draft price here. But I wait, I really would have wanted to see him come back last year and just take a step forward for two months. I think the other thing to note here, too, uh, people might compare him to Ellie De La Cruz, which is very fair. He's another massive shortstop who's massively athletic and has massive strikeout problems. Um, O'Neill Cruz does hit the ball really hard like Ellie does, but Ellie also called himself the fastest man in the world after like two games and wasn't wrong, whereas O'Neill Cruz doesn't quite have that kind of speed. He only had 13 steals in 410 plate appearances in his full season. So if he's not going to be somebody who has, you know, 30-30 upside and it's more... 30, 10, 30, 15 with all those flaws. I just don't want to take that risk in the top five rounds. Am I a coward or are you with me? No, I'm with you. I I was, I was really hoping that his draft costs would be much lower because I really like the player, but I'm surprised that it's gone to this level. Um, I, I just think it's too, too early with his risk. Um, what's he going to be able to get the strikeout rate down to? I mean, if he can just strike out at a 30% rate or lower, I think he could be fine. 
he's going to hits the ball hard enough to, to overcome that. Um, but the guys that you mentioned, you know, the younger guys with massive power, they're going, you know, a hundred picks later. Um, it's just a lot to ask for a, a top 75 pick. And is he going to run as much coming off that ankle surgery? We just don't, we just don't know. It's a little too risky for me. I'm, I'm with you there. Shall we segue right from O'Neill Cruz to Ellie De La Cruz? Because I see you've got him down here know. for the Reds. So you're going to make people sad or happy with this one? Uh, yeah, we're sticking on the the sadness as well. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's also an element of, I mentioned earlier, FOMO. Like you don't want to be the guy that watches Ellie De, De La Cruz just be. He has number one overall fantasy player upside there's there's no doubting that um but is he quite ready to to cash in all that potential just not quite sure i mean after he came up 881 ops in june from then on he had a 661 ops strikeout rate was 34.6 from july on absolutely horrendous against lefties he's a switch hitter but he batted had a, had a 495 OPS with a 40.2% strikeout rate against lefties. Got to the point where he was benched against a lot of lefties down the stretch by the Reds when they were still somewhat in playoff contention. It's a crowded infield in Cincinnati. I mean, all signs point to them sticking him at shortstop and just hoping that he figures it out and dealing with maybe the inconsistencies along the way. But if the Reds fancy themselves as contenders – I don't know that they can have a super long leash when they have all those other options. And I mean, he's going at pick 23 NFBC leagues. Francisco Lindor is going after him. Marcus Simeon's going after him. If you want to go the pitcher route, Corbin Burns is going after him. It's just a little too high for all the risk associated with LA De La Cruz. Again, He's in an awesome park. He's an athletic freak. He could be – we could be taking him in the first round next year. It would not surprise me at all. But I just think his draft day cost is just a little too much. Yeah, I'm mostly with you. I think I've ended up a little bit less out than everyone else who seems to be even more out on him, and I could well be wrong mm-hmm. here. The only thing that's keeping me sort of in, and by sort of in, I mean I'll take him if he falls a few spots, not – that I'll necessarily take him at price. Um, The only thing that keeps me sort of in is that I think he's going to run a ton, even if the bat doesn't come around. Uh, 35 steals in 98 games last year. I suppose there's some risk, like you said, that he isn't even on the major league roster or something if his bat is that poor. But I think there's a world in which his bat takes no steps forward, and yet he still gets 550 plate appearances and steals 50 bags. And so I think with that as a pretty reasonable floor, that keeps me from being totally out, but I think certainly he's getting quite a lot of hype and he very well may not back it up. Uh, let's go to my overrated red. I'm going to go with another one of those crowded lineup. And I'm going with Spencer Steer. He is going just outside the top 100 in February, just one of seven. That's a couple rounds ahead of where I have him. Now, some of his draft price might be that he's got excellent positional eligibility. So there's a lot of different people who might want him or maybe in a draft champions league, you like a guy like that, but I'm a little bit worried that he could lose out in this playing time crunch. 
mostly because he just doesn't really pop anywhere. He wasn't a huge prospect. He was a real prospect, but not a top one like some of their other guys. And, you know, he made an above average amount of contact, but not really by much, a 21% striker, right? That's basically he hits the ball as often as you should. He had a below average barrel rate, not by a lot, but not great. He does run, but he doesn't run a lot. He had 15 steals. So maybe this is the kind of guy who just does enough that he's in there all the time and you don't really notice him and you end up perfectly happy. But I don't really see a path to him suddenly becoming more. I think his only fantasy value just comes from being in the lineup all the time in a good park. And he may not be in the lineup all the time, given the hitters in that lineup. Do yeah. You like I mean, at all or? And a lot of that production... I mean, he absolutely crushed lefties last year, and his numbers against righties were just meh, not great. The Reds have three left-handed hitting outfielder options that are legitimately decent options, um, and it seems like the plan is to mostly play Steer in the outfield. Um, so I, I, there is a scenario, I think, that he could wind up on a short side of a platoon, um, and I think he really – needs great American ballpark to overcome the kind of meh bad ball data. I mean, he's still going to be in, in great American American ballpark again, at least for his home game. So that's good. But I think everything probably went about as right as it could go for him last year. And I, I can see some potential landmines in, in 2024. So I'm, I'm with you on Spencer steer. So we ended on a, Positive note, give give our uh, yeah. over or underrated, sorry, Reds to end it all. Some uh, Reds were very excited to draft. Yeah, let's, let's end on a happy note here. Um, the newest Red, or one of the newest Reds, Jamer, Jamer Candelario um, never played in a hitter-friendly park for a full season in, in his entire career, and now he gets to go to the park that caters to home run hitters better than any other. Um, I suspect he's probably going to hit no lower than fifth in that lineup. Potential for a lot of RBIs. Fly ball rate has been trending up a bit the last two seasons for him. Um, if he can continue to do that, then Great American Ballpark is definitely going to reward him. He's already dual eligible at first and third base. Um, NFBC ADP is at 224. I, I, I get it. Like He's been just a pretty ordinary player for most of his career. And he's in his thirties now, but coming off a solid year, he's in a great situation. They didn't give him that contract to, to sit him. You know, I, we mentioned that the Reds infield is very crowded, but I fully expect Jeremy Candelario to play every day and hit in the middle of that lineup. And at that draft cost, he's, I'm perfectly happy with him as my quarter infielder. Yeah, that draft cost just about 100 picks later than Spencer Steer. And in a lot of ways, they're yeah. pretty similar. A basically, league average strikeout rate and barrel rate. They, they make a fine amount of contact and they hit it hard enough. They're not nothing special. Steer did run a bit more, but 15 steals versus eight last year. That doesn't, to me, say 100 pick gap between those yeah. two. So I like the Heimer Candelario call a lot. Uh, my underrated red, Nick Lodolo. And I'm a little bit worried about this one because he's you know, coming off an injury and I keep drafting him everywhere. So I may well be losing a pitcher from all of my teams, but I don't think that he's that much of an injury risk. And I think that's why 
Uh, he's coming so cheap in drafts. The injury he dealt with last year wasn't an arm. It was a fractured tibia. And now, okay, that's that's scary too. Maybe I'm not taking that into account as much as I should, but I don't think it's going to say that his arm has any problems this year. I mean, he's a pitcher. He could well get injured, but I am not considering him more of an injury risk, I don't think, than anybody else. And if that's true, then we have to start looking just at his numbers, which, hey, he did have a 629 ERA last year. But it was in not very many starts, and the peripherals were nearly unchanged from the year before. Strikeout rate stayed in the upper 20s. His walk rate actually got better, going from about 9 to 6%, and he kept his slightly above average ground ball rate. Skills are excellent there for Lodolo, and I think if his ERA matched his peripherals last year, he wouldn't be nearly this inexpensive. I think he's probably going to be just fine, and if he's just fine health-wise, I think there's a lot of upside in his arm. Yeah, I, I loved Lodolo getting going into last year. And as you mentioned, that nothing's really changed other than the, yes, fractured tibia. Um, I, no reason to believe that that's going to be a lingering concern. Um, yeah, he's going to have to the, – the workload's going to have to take a big jump. Maybe that affects him. But I'm with you that I really like the skills. And it's not the best ballpark to be in, but – Given the draft cost, I'm with you. That's going to do it for our over and underrated players in the National League Central. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Ryan, for the chat. And thank you, Fan Fan Tracks and the Blue Wire Network for their sponsorship. That'll do it for us on this episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.